Hey folks, Nick here, back for another episode of the TFC Audio Project. Um, sorry for missing the episode last week. I've been away for a few weeks and we didn't have anything in the pipeline to put up. So today I'm going to do something a little bit different um, and do a short solo episode talking about a few things that have been on my brain for the past two weeks and that have kind of shifted my perspective um, based on some books I'm reading or um, podcasts or content that I've been looking at. So today I'm going to riff on squat mobility, we're going to talk about active versus sedentary lifestyle, having a sense of purpose in life, uh, the power of self-regulation, and meditation, and modern medicine. And we're going to finish talking about um, just a couple of features that we're working on for uh, TFC app. So there's no ads for this one. I hope you find the information interesting and relevant. Um, and uh, I'll wait to hear feedback as to whether people enjoy this or not. And if they do, I'll try and do, uh, or I will do more of them in future. Um, okay, so let's dig in. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. So the first point is going to be squat mobility. And... You know, after seeing a post from John Lindsay, who is uh, the movement journey on Instagram and who I, I recommend checking out because he's super inspiring and really shows the potential for improvement of the human body if you have a consistent practice. So he did a post talking about squat mobility and what he said really made me reevaluate the way that kind of our team is thinking about improving the squat. Um, and why should you care about improving being able to squat or improving your squat? Well, because it's a fundamental position that all humans should be able to do. And many of us simply, you know, we lose it by not spending time in that position. Uh, you know, the squat was and, and still is for several cultures around the world, the default resting position for humans. And it's a beautiful demonstration of both mobility and also stability and control. So hardware, software, it really requires a lot of different good things uh, and a lot of boxes that you want to be able to check off. Um, and it's also a powerful screen, meaning that if you can't get into a resting squat position and hang out comfortably for, you know, 60 seconds, um, and that's with your heels on the floor, no pain, feet straight, about two fist widths apart, then you're missing some very important elements required for optimal movement. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, an active person or you play sports or you run, whatever it is, humans should be able to get into the resting squat position. So, um, if you can't get into the squat position, it doesn't tell you exactly where the problem is, but it tells you that there is one. And the beautiful thing about a squat is if you know the basics of what to look for in a squat, it gives you a tool to be able to rescreen your movement. So you can test your squat and, you know, if it's not a real great squat right now, that's okay. Everyone starts from a different place. And, you know, the big thing it does is it lets you retest it as time goes on. So you can track your own improvement. And that's very powerful because you don't need to go see your doctor or your physio um, after working on your body. You can see firsthand whether or not it's working or not. And, um, you know, so John kind of mentioned that Ankle tightness, which a lot of people talk about when it comes to the squat, is usually not the limiting factor. And actually, if you look at a resting squat position, it actually doesn't require a huge amount of ankle mobility compared with the kind of um, the amount that we're trying to get people to work on reestablishing. So, you know, John mentioned that it was really more about hip mobility. And in thinking about it myself, I, I think it's not only hip mobility, but also just your ability to use your hips. Right. So if you don't have range of motion, if you don't, if your hip joint, your ball and socket at your hip does not move like a human hip joint is supposed to move, or if your brain doesn't understand how to use that joint, you're not going to be able to squat. 
And a lot of times it's actually not the ankle. You know, we used to put something under someone's heel um, with the thought that that would change the ankle position. And a lot of people can go into a squat much easier when their heels are elevated. But what that's making me realize is that it's not so much the change in ankle position, but the change um, in weight distribution that that that's having a bigger effect there. So it's less about the ankle and more about the hips um, and more about your ability to actually use your hips, especially with something like a hinge, right? And the hinge, if you look up on YouTube, a hinge really is just shifting your weight back into your hips. And if your brain has essentially gotten used to not using your hips, whether that's because your hips are locked up from spending too much time sitting and it does, they're no longer accessible, um, your brain kind of makes the adaptation to start using your quads more. And when you become something um, that we call quad dominant, you really like to use your quads and your knee joints, um, you tend to shift the way that your body thinks about going into the squat. And being quad dominant can be a limiting factor to your squat, much more so than your ankle mobility. So really easy way to troubleshoot the squat um, in terms of like this general framework is test your squat, see where you're at right now, work on your hip mobility and your hinge. And you can look up on YouTube, there's a bunch of videos on hinges and We'll have a really, um, hopefully a great video on the hinge describing it and, and how to work on it when TFC app launches. So we're working on a bunch of content to put into there, which will be free. Um, but test your squat, work on your hip mobility and your hinge, and then retest your squat. Did it improve? If yes, keep doing that. If no, take a different approach. And it's really just a matter of being consistent. So over time, spend more time in the squat, spend less time in chairs, okay? Spend time on the ground. You know, Tony Riddle always talks about how spending time on the ground in all these different positions creates essentially the micronutrients that build up to the macro movement of the squat. You know, if you look at babies and how they learn how to move, no one teaches babies how to move. They just, they learn. Um, it's instinctual. And they go through these set of phases and they start on the ground first because the ground is where you learn how to integrate your core and integrate all your body systems working together so that eventually you can then stand and walk and and you know before we even get to standing and especially before we get to running we squat and so you know if you're putting in a lot of running mileage and you're having problems with your body but you can't squat well maybe you're not prioritizing the the right kind of movement levels and spending time on the floor and working on your squat is a really good way to make you a better runner even though it may not seem like a direct correlation it really can be a powerful tool so squat mobility is more about do your hips move like hips are supposed to move? And does your brain know how to actually use your hips? So hardware at the hip and the software being able to use your hips and working on the hinge, that's really gonna be a bigger factor to work on and to address when it comes to squat mobility. Um, and underneath all that, the squat is important. You should be able to get into a resting squat position for at least a minute, I would argue five minutes, without being crazy uncomfortable. And if you can't work on it, it matters. Uh, next topic. So active versus sedentary life. And this is something I've started to think about a lot more after um, Jeff or the Urban Barefoot put out a post talking about, you know, really a, a lot of people that think that they live an active lifestyle um, actually live a sedentary lifestyle. Um, you know, you can, it's one of those things where a lot of people that consider themselves active do that because they exercise every day. And, you know, if you exercise two hours every day, but you sit for eight, you are not an active person. You are a sedentary person that exercises. And I think we really need to clear up that language and make things really simple. So whether you're active or sedentary really boils down to some simple arithmetic. Okay, there's 24 hours in a day. You sleep for eight of them, 
or you should sleep for around eight of them. So that leaves 16 hours. Of those 16 hours, are you moving or not moving for the majority of them? If you are not moving for the majority of those 16 hours, meaning you're sitting or you're in a static position, then you're a sedentary person, right? If you sit for six or more hours, that can, that makes you a sedentary person. Um, really easy way to find out, take a movement journal for a week and see if you're like most people, um, you'll be shocked at how much time you actually accumulate sitting, AKA not moving. Uh, if it's six or more hours that you spend sitting, which includes time at meals, on the couch, in the car, at work, at meetings, all the stuff is sitting, um, then you're considered a sedentary person. And that lack of movement will have negative effects on your health over time. Um, effects that even an hour of daily exercise cannot offset. So, you know, the unfortunate reality is that a lot of people who are sedentary exercisers who sit for six or more hours a day, but then get in their daily dose of exercise are actually the, the biggest kind of group that we see in a physio clinic um, of people that are in pain and that are breaking down. And it's because those six hours of sitting carry over a burden um, and a cost so that when you move and actually do do your exercise, whether that's running or CrossFit or going to the gym and lifting weights, you actually move in a way that's suboptimal because of the restrictions that you've developed from those hours spent sitting. Okay, so moral of the story here is become a mover. Limit your sitting by designating or designing rather environments that make moving easy and sitting really inconvenient, right? If you move, if you take the couch away from your home or at least move it back, you know, six feet and put a yoga mat right on the floor in front of your couch, you're making sitting on the floor more convenient than sitting on a couch, right? And that's very powerful. You know, having a dynamic workstation at work, go for regular walks, all this stuff, this, the mu the movement accumulates. And it's not about doing the one hour movement meal, like the one hour workout. It's more about moving just more during the day. So if we can get in, you know, the biggest thing there is be patient, be kind to yourself, get slightly better every day. <clears throat> and over time, you'll see massive changes in your physical and mental health, because the body and the mind function better with movement. And all you need to do is start. You know, for some people, one minute of walking on the spot every day when they watch TV is a really good first step. Start small, be consistent, hold others around you accountable. Don't underestimate how much healthy behaviors actually affect other people as well, right? Because if people around the office are seeing you standing and squatting and moving and they're getting curious and saying, hmm, I wonder why, why are you doing that? Um, and you let them know that you're trying to be more active and less sedentary because sitting for long stretches of time during the day can really have negative effects on your movement and your health. Well, guess what? That's now in that person's realm of consciousness. And maybe that person starts to make changes in their own life as well. So um, be a mover, not a sitter. And it really boils down to how much of those 16 hours are you spending moving and how much of those 16 hours are you spending static? Um, most of the time of which is sitting in a chair. Okay, so active versus sedentary life, move more towards being active and away from being sedentary. Uh, next one is purpose. And, you know, in, Frick, in Victor Frankl's book, A Man's Search for Meaning, he talks, he actually quotes Nietzsche saying, he who has a why to live can endure almost any how. And, you know, if we bring this into the modern day, it's really he who has a why to live, which is another way of saying he who has purpose can endure any stressor. So we've all got stresses in our lives. But if you have this underlying meaning as to, you know, this underlying purpose in your life, what gets you out of bed every morning, then it's much easier to endure uh, stressors and, and overcome them if you have that source of meaning. And before truly finding a deep 
purpose in my own life, I was kind of lost. You know, as a physio, I would wake up every day, go to work, but I lacked a real clear sense of purpose in my life. And because of that, it wasn't, you know, work wasn't intrinsically motivating. Um, you know, the Japanese call it ikigai, which is really um, a Japanese. The meaning is really a reason to get up in the morning. And, you know, finding a purpose in life that's so powerful that it makes you look forward to getting out of bed, which sometimes is hard to leave the nice comfy bed that you um, that you sleep in really makes a massive difference. So, you know, for some people that meaning might be or that purpose might be being the best parent they can be, right? It might be being healthy and happy so you can be nicer to those around you um, so that you can help others, right? Live, you know, it might be living a life defined by the desire to be healthy, which is this kind of lifelong journey. It is not a one-time thing. Um, and it doesn't have to be extravagant. There just there just needs to be something. And, you know, my purpose that I've found is to help people live healthier and happier lives. And sometimes that means creating content for social media or interacting with our kind of global tribe of health nerds. Um, or sometimes it just means like helping someone that you see on the street or starting a conversation about health. But if you have this deep, deep purpose, then everything in your life kind of revolves uh, orbits around that. And you can find some way to attach everything you do in life to that meaning. And it really is extremely powerful. So, you know, I think a lot of people, it, it takes a while to find that meaning right you know ask yourself number one what do you truly love to do because if you can if you can align that with this deep sense of purpose that you found then it's it's much more motivating to continue doing something you love um, and if you align your life in a way so that everything you do fits with that purpose uh, it makes a massive massive difference because when you have a purpose it's much easier to get through the hard times and deal with stress um, if if you do have that sense of meaning Okay, and your sense of purpose is dynamic. It's going to change, right? From year to year, you might find a different, you might refine the meaning of that purpose. You might even shift that sense of purpose. Um, and it might take you a while, but it's really important. So work at it. So find a purpose, find this deep sense of meaning in life that makes you get out of bed every morning. Try and attach it to what you do for work, because if you have to go to work every day and it's not in alignment with that sense of meaning or doesn't have any connection to it, it makes work, um, it, it makes work suck. Right. And if work is something you got to do every day, you may as well make it so that it's something that's enjoyable to do or or has some element that ties into your values. OK, uh, next point is self-regulation. And I think this is we get questions all the time from people that just don't they're they're honest questions. They're good questions from that person's point of view. But I think a lot of these questions reflect on the fact that we've removed people's ability to make decisions about their body based on the feedback they get. You know, self-regulation is a, it's a powerful tool that modern medicine has stolen away from a lot of us. Um, and really all it means is being able to in interpret feedback from your body and use it to make future decisions about your behavior. Um, and it's something everyone can reconnect with. Okay, like the most powerful tool for self-regulation feedback is actually pain. You know, pain is your most useful guide. If something hurts, it means you're either moving poorly or you did too much too soon. Right? It doesn't always mean that there's physical damage. It means that your brain essentially detected some sort of threat and its way of telling you that is through pain. Um, and I think one thing we've gotten away from is just tinkering with movement, right? D using trial and error, trying different things. Oh, if I bend my elbow, it hurts. Okay, well, what if I bend it in this way? Or what if I bend it this way? And essentially just tinkering or, or using trial and error um, to see you know, what movement 
feels best for you? What movement doesn't elicit that pain? What movement actually feels better? What movement feels stronger? Um, and I think we've gotten used to essentially just looking to our doctor or our physical therapist to tell us how to move when really we got to regain this internal sense of feeling what movements feel good, right? And, and you know, it really it's really important when you're looking to make changes. So where we see it is, for example, when someone's transitioning from conventional built-up footwear to minimal footwear, right? People do this all the time. They go, they just go way too quick. And, you know, if you've been in, if you're, if the footwear you're wearing right now is the equivalent of a couch for your foot and you've been wearing that for 10 years, well, if you sat on a couch for 10 years, the last thing you're going to do is jump up and run a marathon, right? The first thing you're probably going to try and do is just stand against gravity, start basic. And even that's going to be hard. Okay. And I think a lot of people say, oh, you know, I went to minimal shoes and then my feet hurt. So I just went back. It's like, well, I don't think you sh you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You just want to make sure that you're understanding. Okay. Well, um, my feet hurt after I did that. So I probably just did too much. So I'm going to do less next time. I'm going to do some work to work on my foot so that it's in a better position to be able to, um, sustain being without support or without cushioning for a longer period of time. And, you know, you know, it might be going from sitting to standing at work. That's another one we, we, we get questions about, you know, people go to standing and they're like, Oh, my back really hurt. So I think, I don't think I should stand because it hurts. It's like, well, you have hips that have basically gotten tight from sitting for 10 years for more than six hours a day for 10 years. We have a little bit of work to do, but here are some things that you can do if you're getting pain. And it's, you know, we really just have to give people back the ability to troubleshoot and understand, okay, if this hurts, this is what I'm going to do to try and resolve that. Oh, that didn't work. Okay. I'm going to try this next time. Ooh, that worked really well. Perfect. If you can find solutions on your own for, you know, feedback that you're getting from your body, you have to interpret that feedback and try and use it constructively and, and problem solve. You can do so much more in terms of, you know, and for a lot of people like self-regulation with food is something that we've just gotten away from, right? How do you feel? How much energy do you have? And how are you pooing? Like literally those three simple things can give you really good feedback about whether the food you just ate is good for your body and good for your health or not good for your body and your health. And I think taking a, long, a more longer term perspective of, okay, what I eat now is going to reflect on how I feel tomorrow or later today and making those connections, you know, it allows you to self-regulate and determine what foods are good or bad, or are you doing too much too soon? Like in training, if you lift weights and you're really sore the next day, well, you know, it's funny because soreness is something people equate to a great workout. But if you're really sore, I don't know if that means you had a great workout, right? It means you might have done just gone too much, too hard, um, or maybe you're moving poorly. And that's why you're sore, right? So use the feedback. I'm not saying soreness is a bad thing. But I think we just have to get better at evaluating what those signals mean. So self regulation, determining when to do more, when to do less, understanding what these things mean, uh, very powerful tool. And we just have to kind of sort give people back the power to be able to interpret those things and make changes accordingly, instead of just always looking to a health professional to tell them what to do. Uh, next one. So meditation. So I was away for the past two weeks. And one of the books I was reading by Frank Forensich called The New Old Way, which is an amazing book. And it's actually going to be part of our uh, curriculum for the Footner program in 2020 because it's just a, a very powerful read on on globally health and, and why we're so disconnected, whether it's a sense of meaning and purpose or um, movement, food, sleep. He covers everything. Um, you know, in, in terms of meditation, today's world is filled with a ton of noise right? It's basically a 24 hour distraction machine that has 
completely won the battle over focus, focused attention and just spending time with their own thoughts. Uh, and it's really terrible for our mental health. So, you know, meditation is a word that I think everyone's heard. Um, maybe some of you have tried. It was something that I've tried several times, but I never managed to really grasp or make a consistent routine of. Um, and in reading this book, it really made me think of meditation in a much simpler way. And I think for a lot of people, it can help them feel like meditation is a lot more accessible. Um, it, certainly for me, it did. So, you know, why should you care about meditation? Well, it's an amazing, from a health perspective, it's amazing. It lowers stress hormones, reduces anxiety, can reduce depression. It helps with tissue repair. It helps with inflammation control. Um, and it's just a massively powerful tool for both mental and physical rejuvenation. So, you know, basically it's really good for humans and you should care about it. Um, and I used to think of meditation as this kind of complex, daunting practice that takes months or years to master. And, you know, I think everyone gets the picture of like a Zen monk sitting at the top of a mountain um, in isolation. And I think, you know, it was a big reason I never was actually able to do it regularly was because I, I kind of put this big, it was just a big obstacle that I found really, really difficult. It's hard for me to calm my brain. And I think it's probably hard for a lot of people to focus their intention on something. But um, I recently realized that meditation is actually insanely simple. And, you know, for one, there's actually no way, wrong way of doing it. Right? You can't mess up meditation. Um, just sit still in one place for a while with no distractions. And that, that's where you start. Right? No phone, no music, no people talking to you, no nothing. Um, you know, your brain's instantly going to wander off and probably think of your to-do list or something with work or something you got to do that day. And, and that's fine. And really the challenge is to get better at reducing that chatter. And, you know, I, I think of meditation now like a workout, right? If I'm trying a new exercise or a new movement, it's normal to suck at it at the start. And when it comes to meditation, I know that I'm still very much a beginner and, and have a lot of work to do, but, but you know how you get better with practice. It's kind of like working a muscle. Your mind is a muscle. And the more time you spend working, working on it, the better it gets. Um, you know, my strategy is to start by taking a few deep breaths. And what I think of is actually, um, it was this kind of imagery that um, Frank Forensis writes in his books. And it's, I, I think of a glass of muddy water. And as I relax and try and eliminate the chatter, the chatter in my brain, the particles of dirt kind of settle to the bottom of the glass. And the imagery is very powerful for me, hopefully. It gives you an idea of something you can try. And then when a thought enters my mind or I get distracted, the dirt starts to get shaken up again. And the challenge is to see how well you can get all of that dirt to settle to the bottom of the glass. Um, and it's just time spent without distractions. And the, the key is that I've learned is to is two things. Number one is start small, right? I started with literally two minutes every morning. Now I'm up to five minutes. And my end goal is 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes before bed. And I'm not still a ways away from that, but at least I'm, I'm seeing improvements. Um, and the second key is to be easier on yourself, right? The mind wandering away is normal. And if you just try and fight it, or you, you kind of mentally abuse yourself as being weak and just um, focus on the fact that you're not able to do it, well, guess what? That's a big distraction. And so the key is compassion, right? Understand that you're new at this, you're getting better, it's going to take a while. And every time you drift off, just let it go, right? Take a breath, just another chance to practice embrace the struggle um, and you actually get better really quick but it is something that we've become so disconnected from that it's super hard to calm your mind so it's okay if you're not good at it you will get better you just have to be consistent right you don't have to be a monk to meditate effectively you just need to sit down shut up be nice to yourself and do it every single day literally um, and if you want to go a step further 
take a journal and write down a note after every session, which is what I'm trying to do now. And basically, you know, you can write the note down about how you did, the thoughts that crept in your mind. You know, it's a very powerful exercise in just self-reflection. And it can be literally one sentence. It does not have to be much. But, um, you know, the, the take home there is meditation is simple. Sit down, start small, put your phone away and just try and calm your mind, right? Like actually being observed to the thoughts that cross in your mind, because those are probably things under the surface, um, under the hood that are, that are probably bothering you, whether you realize it or not. So very powerful. Um, and for a lot of people very needed, but I, I've, you know, for me, I felt it firsthand, I found it difficult, but the difficulty is actually part of the message that it's that much more necessary to work on. Okay. So make it simple, sit down, no distractions, and you get better over time. Um, the next one is modern medicine. And, you know, another part of that book, um, talks about a big weakness of modern medicine is that we've made essentially the doctor or the physician, the only authority with, uh, you know, the only authority and the patient is basically just a recipient of the treatment instead of actually being able to take an active role in their health. So, you know, our whole system is disempowering, meaning that it puts more power in the to the professional for our health and less power for us. And at the end of the day, the there's only one person on planet earth that can make you healthy. And that's you, um, your doctor, as much as they might have good intentions, cannot be with you 24 hours in the day. Um, and is really just ill-equipped to give you the right advice needed from a general health perspective, right? They're used to putting out fires and diagnosing things, but they're not used to giving you the advice needed to change your lifestyle or to change your behavior so that you don't need to go see them, right? If all they do is diagnose and treat problems, well, a big part missing there is the fact that they don't get any education on how to prevent problems, right? And I think that's what, that's the gap we're trying to fill, um, and, you know, in the book, it talks about medicalization and how every issue now, big or small, um, can be fixed by medicine. And it's a big part of the problem, right? Like as medicine creeps into more and more parts of human life, it gives more responsibility for the body over to doctors and health professionals and takes away our sense of personal power and control. Like I said before, um, you know, we've even, even exercise has been medicalized, right? I'm sure everyone has heard the term or the sentence before beginning an exercise program, talk to your doctor. And this is madness. Like this is literally crazy. Um, if it has anything to do with the body, we just seem to want to track it, diagnose it, treat it and profit from it. And that's a, that's a sad reality of where things are at right now. So it's, you know, it's made the modern human over reliant on medicine. Um, and it, takes our own independent coping abilities it makes our independent coping abilities weak and actually ends up reducing our health instead of improving it so you know a, a big goal at tfc through our education is to return control of people's health back to themselves you know medicine just like just like things that are applied in medicine medicine follows a dose response curve in small doses it's helpful but um, you know if you have a serious bacterial infection antibiotics are probably life-saving and they're probably a good thing but when you when it's used in excess, just like anything else with a dose response, it becomes toxic, right? If every person with a sore throat gets antibiotics, bad things start to happen. So we need to use medicine reluctantly. Um, and the take home point from this is that modern medicine is important and useful in some cases, but in most cases, we need to rely on our body's ability to heal itself instead of giving away that responsibility to the med medical system. Um, we need to use medicine as little as possible you don't need medical supervision to tell you how to eat or how to exercise. You just need some basic information to help you make good decisions on your own. Um, and you need to trust your body. It's really good at healing. If you just let it do its job, 
and you treat it right in the first place, you actually avoid a lot of those problems. Um, okay, last point that I want to talk about. I just want to talk about a few things that our team's working on right now uh, with TFC app. So uh, the, the app development team's been working hard to kind of create a platform that's free for everyone uh, and stays true to the core purpose of delivering the truth when it comes to health. So it's a platform that gives our global health nerd community a way to deliver health education. And, you know, right now a lot of people are using social media and Instagram, which is a good platform, but it's also, um, there's a lot of other things going on with Instagram, you know, not to mention the fact that it's always trying to captivate your attention and distract you. So it's not as a pure health education platform. It's really not, um, it's really not a good one for it. Um, and even just, you know, you can't really have, dialogue and, and conversations with context. Um, you know, like one of the big problems that we find is that there's so much noise on Instagram in the comments that we can't really, we can't answer questions. Um, and there's so much like outrage culture is just so out of control on social media that we, we just need to try and create something better. And one of the features I want to talk about today is Q and A. And well, the two features we're going to talk about are questions and answers and helpfulness ratings. So the first one is Q and A and, you know, to put it simply, it's a feature that we're trying to develop uh, or that we are developing and that is actually going to be included in the public release of the app that lets anyone using TFC app submit a question to our kind of global team about health. So it can be about anything. It can be about sleep or knee pain or ankle mobility, wherever you want. And someone from our global nerd tribe is then going to, can then answer the question as best they can. Um, and we can post the answer for everyone to see. So the question will be answered. That person will get a notification saying their question has been answered. We're going to put some tags on it. So if it's a question about ankles or movement, then we'll tag ankle or mobility or movement so that there's a way to search it. And then that question and the answer are then searchable to anyone. Um, you know, if someone comes to the app and has the same question, well, guess what? If it's already been answered, they can search it. And if it hasn't been answered, they can ask the question and our team can answer it. So, you know, it allows us to turn these answers into content that's searchable by everyone and allows us to give a little bit of context to these questions instead of just trying to give a one-line answer on social media. Okay. Uh, you know, we get the same questions a lot. And unfortunately, you know, if we answer a question on Instagram for one person, um, it's not actually very searchable. Like it's very hard to, for other people to find that answer, even though it might be super beneficial and important for a lot of other people to know the answer to that question. Um, it's really hard to to do that in, a, in an effective way. So hopefully the Q&A feature of the app uh, allows our community of health nerds a way to answer the public's questions and also let the public search all the questions that have been answered so that um, they can get kind of the answers that they're looking for. Uh, the second feature I want to talk about is helpfulness rating. And this one's pretty simple, but you know, instead of likes on each piece of content, like you have on Instagram or, or, you know, hearts on Instagram or likes on Facebook, each piece of content posted within TFC app is going to be rated by people based on how helpful it was. So, you know, in simple terms, after you view something, a blog, a video or a podcast, the app is going to ask you to rate how helpful it was from one to five. And those ratings then let us know what types of content people find most useful or helpful and also helps us organize the content so that the most helpful stuff is most accessible to people when they're searching a topic. So if someone posts an ankle mobility video and it's rated as super helpful, we're going to make sure that when someone looks up ankle mobility, that's the first one that shows up. So it's creating an algorithm based on people's feedback about which types of content they like most and find most helpful, but also which topics they find most helpful. Um, and it'll also help guide our nerd community 
um, in terms of what kind of content resonates most with people. So those are a couple of features. Q&A and healthiness rating are two of the features that we want to put uh, right out of the box during the for the public release of TFC app, which we're really hoping is going to be later on in 2019, uh, before the start of 2020. And um, anyway, I hope that information, like I said, I don't know how people are going to like these things. It's not doing a, a one-person conversation is nowhere near the same as having a conversation with another human, but sometimes it's nice to just riff on a couple of things um, that we're thinking of. And the goal in future is to allow other um, foot nerds or health nerds to be able to do something similar um, so that we can just put some content out there and see how people like it. So hopefully that stuff benefited you in some way, shape, or form, whether it's um, you know how to improve your squat, um, understanding the definition of an active versus sedentary life, whether it's, you know, knowing that finding a sense of purpose in life is important and trying to really start to think about what that sense of purpose or meaning might, it might be for you. Um, if it's, you know, we talked about self-regulation, being able to interpret signals from your body and then use them yourself to, to kind of regain the power about how to change your behavior to improve how you feel or improve your training or whatever it might be. Um, we talked about meditation and how it can actually be extremely simple if you just start small and just make it simple. Spend time by yourself, sit down, shut up, gradually increase the amount of time, make a routine of it. Your brain and your ability to focus are like a muscle. The more you work them, the, the better they get. Um, you know, we talked about modern medicine and how it follows a dose response curve in small doses and in certain cases very helpful but when used excessively for everything under the sun it actually takes away your power to believe that your body can heal itself and to believe in your own ability to troubleshoot so we have to use medicine medicine is important but if it's used too much and you know that frank forensic uses that term medicalization it can become a problem for a lot of people can actually become toxic especially when there's profit attached to it right? The, the game theory of health right now is such that the more medicine you consume, um, the more you use the, the healthcare system, the more money it makes. And this is a very, a very skewed um, system of incentives that is bringing us in the wrong direction. And the last thing we chatted about was TFC app, the Q&A, which I think will be a very helpful feature for the public to interact with our community and for us to answer important questions and allow other people to see those answers and also helpfulness rating so that people can tell us what they find most helpful and help guide us on creating content that gives people that is most helpful for people because really that's what the app is about. It's about making sure that um, we never compromise our values and that it always stays true to how can we use technology, leverage technology to help people and re-empower them to take back control over their health? Uh, and that's really what it's all about. And it's going to stay that way. We're going to make sure that it never, you know, we're never going to sell your information. We're never going to advertise products that we don't agree with. Um, and it's really uh, creating our own platform is really the only way to have control over the fact that it gets over whether or not it gets used for the right purpose and right intentions long term or not. Um, so anyway. Hope you have a great day and you found that, com uh, that stuff useful and we'll catch you next time.